drawing room over here. Oh, hey, come on in. Lilius Fraser was a pioneer of Australian cinema, one of the country's first female directors. Her daughter, Jane Castle, is an award-winning cinematographer who has shot music videos for the likes of Prince and U2. But Jane's new documentary takes us away from the sets and the glamour and looks at the life behind the camera, at the trauma and the desires that drove them both. It's called When the Camera Stopped Rolling, and Jane is my guest in the drawing room. Jane, welcome. Thank you. Why now? What led you back to your mother and to your own story together? Yes, well, it actually started about 10 years ago, this film. They, they sometimes take a very long time to make, especially these personal archival films. And actually, I didn't want to make a film about my mother at all. I was still a bit pissed off with her um, for leaving us you know, and going off on location around the world shooting films. Um, but somehow the film had other ideas and, you know, bit by bit it, you know, all rose lead back to my mother, Lilius, and it was really the most compelling story. And, you know, I, I wasn't that interested in that. She was a pioneer and a trailblazer. You know how you take your parents for granted, granted sometimes yes. and, like, she's just my mum and she annoys me and she's great. And But, yeah, that's where the story was. It was with her amazing career, my, you know, following in her footsteps and, of course, the real driver behind making the film was me really trying to make sense of, what happened in our family growing up and the, the you know, dysfunction and the trauma that, of course, you know, like a lot of people who had um, early trauma, you, you know, you deal with it well into your life and, you know, it's always a work in progress. So that was, you know, trying to make sense of it all. Mm. Ten years is a long time to stick with a film that you weren't even sure you wanted to make. Was it hard to stick with it or did you need the time in a way? I needed the time actually and I would have liked another good six months actually <laughs> to make it even better. But, no, you see, oh, well, there's both this creative drive where you just, you know, it's like like a moth to the flame, you're just drawn or, or this thing inside you just needs to be expressed. So it's got its own life force. And then, of course, once we started to get funding and we did a lot of crowdsourcing and so many people had donated to the film and I just felt like there's no way I could put it down. I, I was obligated to finish this film. Not that I would have put it down, but it was it was pretty hard. People were always saying, so what happened to that film that I donated 200 bucks to five years ago? So, yeah, there were a lot of, lot of different forces moving it along and I never would have um, dropped it actually, Yeah. You said that you were still angry at your mother for leaving you when she went on location. What was that experience like? You know, what was that that kind of – take me through those years and what they looked like. Yeah, well, I didn't actually even discover that I was angry until, you know, well into my adulthood. But, yeah, so at the time I kind of disconnected it to in, in order to survive. But, look, it was a rough and tumble um, upbringing. My parents, both of them were running this film company and it was always running in debt. So there was always fighting. There was, you know, violence. There was alcohol. And there was um, chaos. Like it was really chaotic. There were film crews coming in and out. And, yeah, they would go off on vacations and sometimes they would take us and then put us with, I don't know, the farmer's wife or Somewhere else, I have very little memory, but, uh, you know, I know from the films they made how often they went away and sometimes they left us behind. And I really 
a lot of those places we stayed in, I don't know who they were. Um, so I think it was, you know, back in those days when there was nannying and things like that, it, it's a very different story now and, you know, parents really consider you know, the, <laughs> the psyche of the child and, and all of that. But it, for, I was just in constant overwhelm and I, I was a chronic asthmatic as well. And I was very, very dependent on my mum, probably more so because she kept going away and kind of it made me more clingy. And, um, yeah, so I had, you know, a bit of attachment trauma. and But also it was hard to connect with her because she was very ebullient and she was a drinker but not a she, – she identified as an alcoholic, but she wasn't like a gutter drunk. But it was very hard to – have a real connection with her. And I think that's where the real frustration lay because I was always seeking connection and was always being just frustrated a bit. Alcohol, chaos at home, a passion for the work that eclipses everything. They're often being painted as part of an kind of an artist's experience, an art- artistic existence. It's a common symptom of genius, we're told. But they're not <laughs> so fun, uh, we all no. know, to be around. <laughs> Is this a correction to the narrative in a way? Yeah, I like how you call it a correction because it's not black or white. No. And we don't want the pendulum to, you know, swing all the way back to, oh, no, you have to be a 1950s mother and stay at home and bake and whatever. We don't want that. We do not want that. Um, but it's really tough and it's still tough. And especially in the film industry, like, you know, 12, 14 hour days, a mother with a child, what, you know, there's not um, across the board childcare on film sets by any means. So it's really tricky. Um, and it is chaotic, like it's filmmaking and, you know, other artistic um, careers is really, really demanding because time is money. And, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work going on in that area. For example, in the Australian Cinematographers Society, there's a, a strong representation now by women and there's a really strong push to get childcare and, uh, and other kind of accommodations to help women enter the industry. So there is change afoot. But, you know, we're still in the little, you know, in the beginning stages. Becoming a mother did make things complicated for your mother, right? Um, She was not only a woman but a mother and the industry wasn't particularly accepting of, well, either of those things. No. Like, actually, when, well, she began, well, she wanted to be a cinematographer at first and, and she'd already shot her own movie. It was being screened on the ABC every night before the news. But when she went to be, you know, say, I want to be a cinematographer, um, you know, with the with Film Australia, they said, I oh, know you won't be strong enough to carry the cameras. So she's like, all right, bugger it, I'll become a director instead. And, she, of course, she couldn't get any films to make except the films that all the blokes refused to make, like the most boring films in the world. Like the first one she got was about um, Richard Robert Torrens, you know, Torrens' mm. title, so this, about this South Australian bureaucrat who, you know, transformed the real estate in, uh, industry. Um, so she started doing that, but during that film, um, she became pregnant and she got sent home. So not not to be daunted or put off, my mum actually set up an editing room at home, cut the movie, gave birth to my sister, and then keep kept cutting the movie and just kept on going. But you know, you weren't really allowed even to be seen at that point when you're pregnant, let alone breastfeeding, let alone having kids on set. So, you know, my parents actually, that I think that was one of the reasons they started their own film company, making a lot of industrial films and mining films and films about farming, because it meant they could take their kids with them sometimes or leave them or take one or, you know, they had that flexibility. But 
like working in in a government film department that was, you know, they married with kids, forget it. The relationship between your parents wasn't happy. Your father became abusive. What did that do to your perception of your mother and yourself? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I I was very frightened of my dad. He was like a powder keg, so... Um, and, and yet I felt attached to him, so it's this kind of push-pull thing with him. Um, with her, you know, I think the tricky thing about in that time was I saw her being bullied and, you know, really abused, um, but she stayed for a long 13 years um, and she, I was 11 by the time she left. And that's a long time, and I think the message I got from that is that you know you got to you can put up with that, and that abusiveness is okay, and you know just stick it out. So that was um, it needs has needed a bit of a reframe. Um, and yeah, I remember as a kid, you know, um, hearing her crying after a fight and coming down the stairs, you know, and finding her in the kitchen crying, and you know just trying to comfort her, like you know kids do that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was pretty upsetting. But, you know, also as kids, kids are incredibly adaptable um, and they, you know, I was able, obviously able to compartmentalise because I, I actually didn't realise there was anything wrong with our family until my mid-20s. I thought, you know, there was this whole myth that we were, you know, um, creative and um, artistic and, you know, we're different, we're better than the other people because they're all boring. And so I bought into that family mythology <laughs> it wasn't until my you know things started the wheels started to come off and I started to do a bit of therapy in my early 30s that um, I started to realize uh, it's it's amazing you know how you can get drawn into that kind of fantasy world yeah and that sometimes that story that you sell yourself is about self-preservation too oh totally yeah it works for a certain time and then it starts to, um, yeah, reach its use-by date. Hmm, that's right. On Radio National, I'm Patricia Carvellis. Jane Castle is my guest in the drawing room. We're talking about her new documentary, When the Camera Stopped Rolling. You say in this film that you'd sworn you'd never be a filmmaker yourself. So what led you to actually pick up a camera? Oh, yes. Um, isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah, I used to see the chaos. You know, I just saw the chaos and I'm like, I never want to, because my mum had the cutting room at home and so there's always there's always film, you know, back when it was film and there'd be bits of film everywhere and I'd play, you know, on the floor with the bits of film, but it looked really chaotic. Yeah, so I swore off filmmaking and then, you know, I had a pull towards art, um, but I wasn't, you know, I couldn't really paint or draw. I was pretty inept with my actual hands and this was, mum was the same actually when she was young. But I was, um, you know, studying art for my HSC and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I've got to do something to, for my artwork. And I did. I picked up my dad's Super 8 camera and I just started, you know, pointing the camera at things. Um, and then mum showed me how to see really in black and white by getting me to look through this little piece of red cellophane that kind of takes all the colour away where you just see kind of tones of, of white and black. And then my footage actually um, turned out to be really good once you – taught me, you know, how to see properly. And then, you know, I was going to maybe study social work or something, but I thought I'll, I'll give the film school a burl and I just applied and I just got in and I was 19. And then it was just this roller coaster, you know, from film school to music videos to feature films. It just kind of, and I got a lot of 
this is the thing. I got a lot of self, um, you know, worth yeah. from, you know, the praise that I would get from my work and it really helped fill up that part of me that just felt a bit crap. Um, yeah, so I was kind of addicted. But it was, you know, it feels like a bit of a mishap. But anyway, <laughs> nothing's a mishap in the end. No. So was your mum excited that you were following in her footsteps? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she really was. I mean, she used to go around... Um, you know, by the time I was in film school saying, oh, I'm Jane Castle's mother. And it was a lovely, you know, that was lovely. And really it was the way we began to connect. And what I do think is that possibly unconsciously I chose to become a filmmaker so that I could get closer to her, so that we would have like a a realm in which we could meet. And we did meet on that and she helped me, you know, she's like, helped me to figure out how to talk to the gaffers and grips and get their respect. And, you know, when there was some disaster on set, she would know exactly what I was talking about. So it was a way to relate. And she was really, really proud. And I think, you know, I think she'd be really proud now of this film um, that I've made. You worked as a cinematographer on one of your mother's films, Women of the Iron Frontier. What was it like to work together like that? It wasn't what you hoped it would be? <laughs> no, no. I was really – well, when she asked me to shoot, I was really chuffed and I'd, I'd only finished film school a couple of years before and I was like, great, um, I'm going to make – you know, we're going to be a mother-daughter team and I'm going to really help mum to get her vision, you know, up on screen. And – but we, we came from different eras. So mum came from this kind of didactic filmmaking era where you kind of tell the audience what's happening. You know, Joe is going to buy a carton of milk. Mm. Um, so that was her training and that's how she began to approach the film. And I was like, no, no, we should be doing cinema verite. We should be like flying the wall and just following these people in this outback mining town and so we began to argue and because, <laughs> uh, you know, I must say I was a little bit arrogant just out of film school. Yeah, and, you know, loving yourself. I was thinking I knew everything. So we fought. It was really, you know, and I felt bad about fighting. Um, but we, you know, we soldiered on and it was, you know, it was a good film in the end and she did actually transform her style a bit. She ended up narrating, you know, making a bit more of a personal film. Um, and it looked really good too. So we got through it. But, you know, look, working with family, yeah. don't know if it's ever the best idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, good, good <laughs> it can to, be done. Good to keep those things separate, I've always thought. Yes, yes. Uh, now, when the counterculture took off in Australia, your mother became a role model, a pioneer of cinema. What did she make of that and what did you make of it? Oh, it was really odd, actually, because when she left my dad and their film company just collapsed, she couldn't get work because, you know, it was still really sexist. Well, it still is a bit, but... Um, you know, they wouldn't give work uh, to a woman without a front man like my father. So she was kind of out of work for a long time, was on the dole and did kind of odd jobs and stuff. Um, and so she was just kind of applying for, you know, regular jobs. And this job at the Filmmakers Co-op came up and it was for um, film distribution. And so, she, you know, she had good 20 films under her belt and she goes to this kind of left-wing, radical, you know, feminist, pacifist, artist, filmmakers co-op, and, and they're like, oh, who, who's this? Oh, we've heard of, we heard there was this woman who made all these movies, but we've never met her. And so she's kind of like super experienced, and they're all, here are all these feminist filmmakers, like they're just starting to make films. And um, 
she was kind of really understated, like she didn't blow her own trumpet, but they began to seek her out and they would try to get her to, you know, speak. And she became like a kind of a mentor, even though she'd kind of made, as she said, you know, boring old, you know, mining films, um, she was making films. So a lot of the feminists, they're like, who is this woman? You know, we've got to, you know, we've got to find her and pick her brains. And so she made these new relationships and, you know, they became her best friends, people like Jenny Thornley and Martha Ansara, who are absolute, you know, veteran feminist filmmakers and have, you know, learnt through the ranks and made their own amazing documentaries. And so she kind of, I don't know, she kind of segued into this lovely new um, new community of um, peers in this new realm and and it was a lovely thing to do in in the kind of later part of her life. Lilius also had some ideological struggles with the film industry, didn't she? I mean, she made mining films, but she wanted to make films about, you know, Aboriginal land rights. She sounds like she pushed against what was considered acceptable. She did, yeah. It, it was very interesting because they they start. She started off making, you know, just industrials, and it might be a farming or you know about you know for Holden or something, and and then yeah, then they got into the mining films, and but at the same time, parallel, they were they were in this kind of counterculture, and they were doing land rights work and and holding fundraisers and things like that. And then um, so she she did a a, um, a film about aluminium mining, bauxite mining up in Weeper. And on the set, um, it, I mean, when she got there, she said, this is just apartheid, like this is mm. horrific. But on the set, the company, they tried to get her to manufacture this false integration scene. So they tried to get her to put, you know, Aboriginal people, you know, yeah. um, living the good life like the white people when it was absolutely segregated. And she actually refused point blank. And there was apparently a big row about that and they never and she and she won she won the day on that she did not um she said oh, if there is someone already there you know working on the mine or something who's a first nations person then I, I will do that um so yeah she stuck a ground they never got any more work from that company um but what was great is that not long after um faith bandler asked her to film this um land rights demonstration um which went from um australia square to la perouse actually it was a, it was for aboriginal education but you know it was the beginnings of the land rights movement and um mum white like just jumped in yeah i'll do it and she didn't just film it she made a whole documentary and i believe that it's the first land rights film in australia we haven't found any other film that predates that and there, there may be something that comes out of the archive but it was certainly one of the first, and you know, like just to stick it up the mining company, she sh- used a lot of that um, mining footage and repurposed it and put it in the land rights film um, <laughs> to be used kind of against the mining companies. It was so great, and it was like a radical kind of subversive move that she was able to do. You know, so she she did get to you know have an expression of her politics in one way. Doing this film, looking back on your mother, on her work and your relationship with her, what's that been like? Because it can be quite challenging uh, to look, we'll just look on our past, our parents, to kind of relive that. Yeah, it has been challenging. It's been, in one way, it's been good because it's given me a lot of clarity. Like I was forced to do this deep research into her life. And I actually found out, you know, really the source of her own trauma 
And so the other thing it's helped me with is really a softening towards her and an absolute, you know, forgiving and an understanding and a real tenderness actually. And and when it comes, you know, in the film, I don't want to get, give too much away, but she she does get the beginnings of um, Alzheimer's. Mm. And that is a real, you know, she becomes so vulnerable and tender. And at that point in our relationship, you know, the tables turned and I, and I kind of became the mother. And so looking back at that whole journey she had from her own trauma through, you know, the ways that she adapted and, you know, making films was, you know, it was an adaptation, you know. Yeah, she loved doing it and she was great at it, but it was also like, oh, my God, I don't want to feel what's down there. I'll just keep really busy. And then through her, you know, alcoholism and then her sobriety and then, you know, her coming of age as a, as a filmmaker with the film that I worked on with her, you know, it's just lovely to see a life and just to honour a life and to kind of depersonalise it. You know, it's actually not all about, all about me. Um, yeah, and, it, you know, just to honour. This is a person who really struggled, who had some amazing triumphs as well as difficulties. And, yeah, it's it's helped our, you know, our relationship continues to evolve. You know, it's now uh, I think about, yeah, 16 years, 17 years after her death and, you know, it, we're continuing to grow our relationship somehow. Jane, you've been such a fantastic guest. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Jane Castle has been my guest in the drawing room and her new film, When the Camera Stopped Rolling, is screening at the Sydney Film Festival. Check sff.org.au for details.